0: Chapter Fifty-Eight of April's Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. April's Lady by Margaret Wolfe Hungerford, Chapter Fifty-Eight. Lo the winter is past the rain is over and gone the flowers appear on the earth the time of the singing of the birds has come the vague suspicion of rain that had filled their thoughts at breakfast has proved idle the Sun is shining forth again with redoubled vigor as if laughing their silly doubts to scorn never was there so fair a day one can almost see the plants growing in the garden, and from every bough the nesting birds are singing loud songs of joy. The meadows are showing a lovely green, and in the glades and uplands the daffodils that come before the swallow dares are uprearing their lovely heads. The air is full of sweet scents and sounds and joys, jumping down from the drawing-room window that lies close to the ground, looks gladly round her. Perhaps it is not so much the beauty of the scene as the warmth of happiness in her own heart that brings a smile to her lips and eyes. He will be here today. Involuntarily, she raises one hand and looks at the ring that encircles her engaged finger, a charming ring of pearls and sapphires it evidently brings her happy thoughts as after gazing at it for a moment or two she stoops and presses her lips eagerly to it it is his first gift though not his last and therefore the most precious what girl does not like receiving a present from her lover the least mercenary woman on earth must feel a glow at her heart and a fonder recognition of her sweetheart's worth when he lays a love-offering at her feet joyce after her one act of devotion to her sweetheart runs down the garden path and toward the summer house she is not expecting dysart until the day has well grown into its afternoon but Book in hand, she has escaped from all possible visitors to spend a quiet hour in the old earwiggy shanty at the end of the garden, sure of finding herself safe there from interruptions. The sequel proves the futility of all human belief. Inside the summer house, book in hand likewise, sits Mr. Brown, a picture of studious virtue. Miss Cavanaugh, seeing him stops dead short so great is her surprise and mr brown raising his eyes as if with difficulty from the book on his knee surveys her with a calmly judicial eye not here not here my child quotes he incorrectly you had better try next door try for what demands she indignantly for whom you mean no i don't with increasing anger jocelyn says mr brown severely when one forsakes the path of truth it is only to tread in nonsense says miss kavanagh irreverently as you will says he meekly but i assure you he is not here i could have told you that says she colouring however very warmly "'I must say, Dickie, you are the most ingenious, stupid person I have ever met in my life. "'To shine in even the smallest line in life is to achieve something,' says Mr. Brown complacently. "'And so you knew he wouldn't be here just now?' "'This is uttered in an insinuating tone. "'Miss Kavanaugh feels she has made a false move. "'To give Dickie an inch is—' indeed to give him an L, he who says she weakly don't descend to dissimulation jocelyn advises he severely it is the surest road to ruin if one is to believe the good old copy-books by he you see i scorn subterfuge i mean dysart the person to whom in a mistaken moment you have affianced yourself, as though I I were not ready at any time to espouse you.' "'I am not going to be a spouse,' says Miss Cavanaugh, half-laughing. "'No, I quite understood. I won't have that word, petulantly. It sounds like something out of the Dark Ages.' "'So does he,' says Mr. Brown felix you know so latin quite like one of the old monks i shouldn't wonder if he has turned out a i wish you wouldn't tease me dicky says she you think you are amusing you know but i think you are one of the rudest people i ever met i wish you would let me alone ah why didn't you leave me alone with a slight that would have set A furnace ablaze however with a noble determination to overcome his grief let the past lie you want to go and meet dysart isn't that it and i'll go and meet him with you could self-sacrifice further go jim along josie no doubt he is at the upper gate by this time flying on the wings of love he is not says joyce and i wish once for all dicky that you wouldn't call me josie jocelyn is bad enough but josie and i'm not going to jim anywhere and certainly with strong determination not with you she looks at him with sudden curiosity what brought you here to-day asks she most inhospitably it must be confessed what brings me here every day to see the unkindest girl in the world she doesn't live here says miss cavanaugh dicky changing her tone suddenly and looking at him with earnest eyes what is this i hear about lady multibar and her husband be sensible now do and tell me they're going abroad together with bertie they've made it up says he growing as sensible as ever she can desire it is such a complete make-up all around they didn't even ask me to go with them however i'm determined to join them at nice on their return from egypt too much billing and cooing is bad for people i'm so glad says joyce her eyes filling with tears they are two such dear people AND IF IT HADN'T BEEN FOR LADY, BY-THE-BYE, by, the by where IS LADY Swansdown? RUSSIA, I THINK. WELL, I LIKED HER, TOO, SAYS JOYCE, WITH A SIGH. BUT SHE WASN'T GOOD FOR BALTIMORE, WAS SHE? NOT VERY, SAYS MR. BROWN, DRYLY. I SHOULD SAY, ON THE WHOLE, THAT SHE DISAGREED WITH HIM. TONICS ARE SOMETIMES DANGEROUS. I'M SO DELIGHTED, SAYS JOYCE. Still thinking of Lady Baltimore, well, smiling at him, why don't you go in and see Barbara? I have seen her, talked with her a long while, and bid her adieu. I was on my way back to court, having failed my hope of seeing you, when I found this delightful nest of earwigs, and I thought I'd stay and confabulate with them a while in default of better companions. Poor Dicky says she come with me then and i'll talk to you for half an hour too late says he looking in his watch there is only one thing left me now to say to you and that is good-bye why this mad haste aha can i have my little secrets too says he a whisper in your ear leaning towards her no thank you says she waving him off with determination i remember your last whisper there if you can't say to he good-bye indeed i am going for a walk she turns away resolutely leaving mr brown to sink back upon the seat and continue reading or else go and meet the secret he spoke of i say calls he running after her you may as well see me as far as a gate anyway it is evident the book at least has lost its charms miss cavanaugh not being stony-hearted so far gives in as to walk with him to a side gate and having finally bidden him adieu goes back to the summer house he has quitted and opening her book prepares to enjoy herself vain preparation it is plain that the fates are against her to-day. She is no sooner seated with her book of poetry open on her knee than a little flying form turns the corner and Tommy precipitates himself upon her. What are you doing? asks he. End of chapter 58 Recording by Lynda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.